Hi guys, it's Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I am back again here with my Curvy Geeky Fangirl podcast, hashtag CGF Recaps. I basically go over all of the fun, geeky TV, film, books sometimes, things that I come across throughout the week. I tell you my opinions on them. I go deep into spoilers, so heads up on that. If you don't like spoilers, it's going to be in full force over here. I ain't scared of no spoilers, so please uh, pause it around here, go check out what I'm going to be talking about, and then come on back. Uh, the stuff I'm going to be talking about this week include a non-spoiler review for Avengers. So if you want to stick around for the Avengers one, it's going to be next right after this. No spoilers, just feels, just feels. I'm going to wait a week before I go heavy spoilers on that. I'm going to going to give it give it some time to just, you know, soak into everybody, and then we'll move from there. Uh, but then going right back into spoilers. So we're going to catch up on DC TV. DC TV is going to be nice and short. Just Supergirl and Flash. Uh, the Expanse. And some shows I caught on Netflix. Uh, I want to say it's Agresuko and 3%. And of course, catching up with the latest episode of My Hero Academia. And my latest feelings for a Korean drama I caught, which was My Fair Lady Kong Shim. So uh, with my podcast, I talk about the geeky stuff or basically the stuff I geek out about and that includes Asian drama. So there's going to be a lot of that in here as well. So all of that will be going on. Uh, as always, you can find me and this podcast here uh, on the Anchor app, on iTunes, on Google Play, or Google Play Music, I'm sorry, Stitcher, and a gazillion more. I'm, I'm slowly but surely migrating to all kinds of things. So that's happening. Check it out when you get the chance. And as always, you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. All of my stuff will be there as well if you want to check it out. So right after this, I'm going to get into the non-spoiler review for Avengers Infinity War. I caught it this past Thursday. So hang in there, and I'll see you right after this. All right, so I caught Avengers Infinity War. We're going to get into the non-spoiler review of it real quick. I'm going to keep it real short, real sweet, because I know a lot of people are still trying to catch it and, and making their way, depending on, you know, when you're actually listening to this. So I caught it on Thursday. Um, the plan had been to catch it with my husband before going to the Universal Fan Con screening of it that same night and kicking off what was supposed to be that weekend. Uh, of course, that did not happen, unfortunately. So, but I still have the tickets to catch it with my husband. So I went and ca caught it on Thursday. Had a nice, very actually, you know, what kind of scary dinner. There was a cockroach involved. It was really gross. And then we made it to the theater and we got it. I was hyped to see it. I mean, this is a ten-year culmination of seeing all of our favorites. These people, these characters that we've seen, kind of grow and expand the mainstream understanding of what, what Marvel brings. And it's it, it's been an amazing ride. And then now, now we're at the precipice, we're at the culmination of everything. And I was nervous. I was scared to see what exactly was gonna happen. Rumors were flying everywhere about who was gonna catch it and who was gonna be good. Fan Bros even put out the Infinity Fate that I participated in about who was definitely gonna go and who was sticking around. And 
I gotta say, I this film was still filled with surprises for me. I was like, what is happening? What is going on right now? And I went ahead and read, I wanna say it's called The Infinity Gauntlet. I wanna say that that's what it's called. But um, yeah, the compen- the trade back. Yeah, it's called The Infinity Gauntlet. Got it, yes. So I read that, which is what uh, Infinity Wars is supposed to be based around. You know, it can't be super exact. The There's even more characters in the Infinity Gauntlet, if you can believe it or not. And uh, so I read that, so I had an idea of where they were gonna go with this, where it was headed, but it still didn't play out the way I thought it was gonna play out at all. So I was just like, oh. It was great to see a lot of familiar faces, especially when they're teamed up with other familiar faces that have all kind of been living in their own film world for a little bit. Love seeing Shuri and Okoye show up. Shuri's shade to Banner when they're trying to figure out how to get uh, something done. It was in one of the trailers. So I I keep forgetting this is non-spoiler. But it was in one of the trailers where she's talking to Banner and she like basically shades him. So that's going to happen. And it was great. It it was wonderful. Um, And Okoye, of course, seeing Okoye back again, being her beautiful, independent self. Always wonderful. Always great to see her. Uh, I still don't understand why we need a vision in Scarlet Witch. I'm glad I'm not the only one who thinks this. There's a lot of people out there voicing this opinion of like, not sure why this is happening, but okay. It just, I mean, again, you see it in the trailer and they're spo- supposed to be like this, this thing. And then when you watch the movie and they lay out what exactly this thing is between the two of them, you're like, really? Okay, sure, why not? Um, I'm just gonna say there, I didn't have, I guess, the emotion that we were supposed to have when they give us like a random backstory. I didn't care, so there was that. Also, uh, but tears did happen, and that's with other characters in this film. There's some big moments that I'll get into next week after everybody's had a chance to at least catch it. But I was just like, why? Why? Why are you doing this to me? So there's that. And, um, in a strange twist, and I hope this is a trend that they keep doing. I actually understood Thanos's ideals behind everything he was trying to do. Were they still crazy? Yeah, they're still they're still insane. But it, I understood what he was trying to accomplish. So there was that as well. It was great. It was a great time. I definitely plan on catching it again uh, just to catch up on the other things. I'm sure there's gazillions of Easter eggs in this thing. There's just so many characters in this thing that it, it it didn't disappoint it didn't disappoint and i wouldn't be surprised if the numbers are just insane and i'm so glad that black panther and wakanda itself gets a gets a nice portion of the screen time for this anytime we get to see mbaku again that's i don't that's it that's it that's what i care about wonderful okoye shuri mbaku that or so so that i'm also hoping that you know with this next phase that we're getting i mean i know they already announced a lot of the films that they're trying to do but I'm hoping we're going to get some more Avengers that a lot of the mainstream world is not aware of. Like, I hope we get a Monica Rambo, something, a TV series, a film separate, anything. That'd be wonderful. If we can get her, that'd be great. I also wouldn't mind a Namor standalone. Film, TV series, wonderful. That'd be great. That'd be wonderful. If I could get those, great. I'm still going to hold out hope for an Omega Red situation, but I know that that's probably under a Fox thing since he's technically part of the X-Men storylines, sometimes Deadpool storylines, but that's also not ours. So, or ours, because I'm part of Marvel. So, so all of that. So yeah, Avengers was great. If you 
try and catch it. I'm going deep into spoilers next week. And yeah, here's hoping that the next phase is going to be just as amazing as the setup was for this for this last arc that we got. It was just great. It was wonderful. And right after this, I'm going to be jumping into Juicy TV, and that means more spoilers. So stay tuned. All right, so going into DC TV, like I said, it's going to be nice, short, and sweet. So Supergirl and Flash both came out this week. Uh, there's no more Black Lightning. They had their finale last week. I don't watch Arrow. I think that's it. Yeah, uh, Legends is is done too. That's it. That's it. So I just, I'm just catching up with Supergirl and Flash. Supergirl, it definitely felt like a filler episode this last week that we got. It definitely felt like, okay, so we are heading toward the finish line now and we're gonna save all that story for the finish line is basically what i'm getting from this right now i mean it's still up in the air what's supposed to be happening with these world killers so you know we have rain we have trinity i'm, I'm gonna figure out her name and then we're supposed to get pestilence as well i think they make the trinity what is she now more questions so so that's happening um, right off the bat, I've got to say, I, I, I see what they're trying to do with the, with the storyline. So last week they told, they gave us this whole random storyline about how Jean's dad was slowly but surely like succumbing to a type of dementia, like a Martian version of dementia. And I was like, why are we getting the storyline? <laughs> like, what is, what is the purpose of this? The purpose was, of it was for the episode we got this last Monday. And which was basically what happened in Logan. Some someone either read the comic or watched the movie Logan and was like, "Ooh, that's good. Who do we have that's a psychic?" Oh, you know what? We've got two. Same. Let's just do that. That's basically what we got. We got a a random story about a powerful psychic, Jean's dad, who is he, he's succumbing to dementia, a type of Martian dementia. And he's not able to control his abilities because of this. And we see it start really happening in this last episode. It starts out with it uh, randomly kind of triggering another psychic type of alien. And she kind of gets trapped in this loop. She suddenly gets like super rage and then kind of goes into a psychic coma of sorts. And then it just it just kept going off from there. And, and it also gave a very nice convenient outlet for us to also get a lot of things out, you know, out in the air. Ever since mon has been back, it's been a matter of time before they had like the mon Kara sit down and this is what happened and how dare you leave me type of conversation. It's been, it's been a little bit. They've been tiptoeing around each other for the longest and now it might finally be coming to a head. So waiting to see how that, well, we got to see how that goes. So because of what's going on with John's dad, um, people that are that are around him in his like you know pretty near vicinity, they start taking on rage and saying th sharing things that have been bothering them for forever. So that culminated with Kara going after Monel and just going at him about how she felt when he left and now that he's back, how like all these changes have occurred and how she is trying to get really difficult to just pick up and be friends with him. That's cool, that's fine, that's great, whatever. I feel like it's a little late to have this conversation. I think this that break, for at least for me as a viewer, really messed me up because it feels like they should have touched on this 
months ago in order to get where we are now. It probably, and all honestly, if that was binge watching it, probably, probably feels on track. Probably feels like it hasn't been that long. But because I'm watching it one episode a week and we had like a month and a half of no show, it feels like we should have, we should have been here and been done with this already. And that's part of what made it feel like a filler to me. That and we got random stuff like Monel's costume is now been fixed by Wynn. Apparently he couldn't wear it for the longest because it was broken or something and now it's fixed. And it's the costume that he wore uh, when he was you know, fighting with his wife. I want to say her name is Irma. I don't know. I'm sorry. I know she's Saturn girl. I don't know what her actual name is. And also Brainiac. And it's supposed to be a take on like Kara's outfit because she was like a big driving force for him because, you know, he was in love with her when he left. And apparently it's been a few years and whatnot and things happened and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, Legionnaire. There we go. When he was a Legionnaire. This, his costume is dumb. This, this is not, maybe, maybe it's like comic matching. Maybe it's a comic match or something, but I don't like it. it I was like, okay, all right. Okay. That and now they have this thing where like capes can act as functioning hands now. They can grip things and rip things out of people's hands and and hold doors open and give you a glass of water. Like they they're doing this whole trick where she's trying to like snatch something away uh that's kind of in place of her like a statue or some some kind of object that's heavy. She's supposed to be able to use her cape as like an extension of her. And she's having difficulty, and that's what lays it down for everything else. I don't know why we got this tidbit. What, is this needed? Is she going to be using it when she's fighting the world killers? Like, what's going on? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. So, and that's all we got. And we didn't really, we didn't get much of rain. We got to see Lena and Sam kind of touch on the rain thing. In that, Lena finally convinced Sam that she was rain. And again, it felt like we should have got that answer. A lot sooner than we did, but but whatever, whatever. They're doing their thing. I'm hoping. So next episode is supposed to be action-packed, and we're supposed to see the world killers in action, and I'm hoping that we do. But who knows? Who knows what we're gonna get? And who knows how this is gonna end? I don't even know when their last episode is. Probably gonna it's probably not too far. We're in May. It's very rare these shows go into June. I'm gonna say like Maybe not next episode after next, but the episode after that is probably going to be it for Supergirl. So who knows? Who knows? Yeah, so that's it for Supergirl. And going into Flash also felt like a filler episode. Not a whole lot was happening with Flash. I mean, it's right after Dibney's death. Uh, now, now that the thinker has all the metas, now that he has all the metas he needs, uh, they kind of touched on the thinker and his wife's situation, uh, how she's in love with him. And I, I don't know if that's because of the tears he's been feeding her or if she's genuinely happy to have her husband back because now he's like in the form she recognizes, the form she actually fell in love with. So she's trying to like be with him and be like, okay, so you have all the metas, we've got this, and now things are going to be good. We're going to, whatever their original plans were for this help him figure things out or help the world or whatever. And he's just like, no, 
no, I still have a lot of things I need to do and I need you to help me do them. You're key to this. Stop trying to have romantic dates. So I'm like, so we got kind of that. And they're laying the groundwork of how like she's probably going to turn on him at some point, some point soon, more than likely, because uh, she's going to finally realize, oh, I made a terrible mistake. <laughs> this, this dude's a monster. So because he's he's slowly but surely definitely separating himself from his humanity. Definitely. If he hasn't already. But that is definitely something that's happening. So we're seeing that right now between the thinker and his wife, um, or DeVoe. Uh, we got team, we got Flash trying to deal, I guess, with Dibney's loss. That felt real empty too. I mean, they were trying to touch on it like this was a huge thing for Barry to try and get over or, or deal with, right? And we even got, um, oh, they, what do they call him? That's, is it Civilian Frost now instead of... Captain, Captain Cold? No, it wasn't Frost. Civilian Cold? Something like that nature. We got the good guy version of Captain Cold. Come back. Uh, went with Miller's character. And he basically played like, I'm going to talk some sense into you type of character. <laughs> of like, all right, you need my help to think out the box. Here's what I can do for you. Also, goals with Barry. We are going to figure out this Dibney thing. We're going to get you back on track for, as the leader of Team Flash. And just just a lot of things they're trying to check off. And it's like, okay. All right. Okay. We also had the Caitlyn story where she was trying to figure out what to do with her not having uh, Killer Frost anymore. Uh, they think it has something to do with DeVoe's powers. Like when he touched her, he probably grabbed, you know, took that power away from her. Uh, usually that doesn't mean he gets to keep that power. It usually means he transfers to somebody else, but who knows? It's comics. It could, he maybe that other guy was just able to transfer to somebody else, but he knows how to master it differently. Comic logic, who knows? But it's up in the air. I'm sure she's going to get this power back at some point. Um, I still don't know why they have it going back and forth the way they do with Killer Frost sometimes and Caitlyn the other times. So I'm not, I don't know if they're eventually just going to stick to one or not. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. And uh, that's, pre oh, that's pretty much it. We had a little bit of stuff with Harrison, how he's struggling. And because of his antics with this thinking cap, he's losing his intelligence. Like it's, it's going backwards. He's starting to really lose it. And he prided himself on his intelligence. So there was a whole setup where he was supposed to make a cap for Cisco and he fluffs, he, he totally messes this up on purpose or not, probably not, but either way it was mad dangerous what he was trying to do. Uh, I, I don't even know where they left that. I don't know if Cisco figured it out or what, but you know what also doesn't matter. It's a random side story for this filler episode. So it just, I'm, we're just, we're counting on the days until we get the finale Hopefully we get some answers. Hopefully we find out who that chick is, who the girl is that we kept, we got in the beginning of the season and that they kind of just disappeared with now as well. But yeah, that's why it's going to be super short. Not a lot happened for DC TV this week. Not anything huge that I needed to discuss or anything. Uh, so right after this, we're going to be switching it on over to The Expanse and talk about what the latest things that happened there right after this. All right, so into the expanse. The episode this week wasn't, or this last week, there we go. It was great. It was still good. They're still moving the story along. That's the one thing I can appreciate about the expanse. Not a whole lot of filler with this show. There's so much stuff they've got to share and explain and put into motion. I don't, I don't think they have the time for filler. So 
That being said, a uh, couple of things I didn't really expect to come out of this episode. The fact that uh, Jules Pierre Mao seems to be having a change of heart in regards to this experiment he's been doing with the proto-molecule uh, proto and kids. Like, this is something that's been going on. He knows it's been happening. He's helped to fund it, him and Earnwright, in their uh, machinations, I guess, to take over the world or just become really rich with this weapon. And now, like, he's, he's having second thoughts. We know it went down with Julie. Julie was his daughter. She also got tied into the proto-molecule? Was she attacked by it? Something happened and Julie became proto-molecule. Like she became an embodiment of it. And that her, her and Miller went down on Venus. Like not even in a good way. Like in a, the ship went down and like we think they're dead type of way. So that's happening. So I think he's taking the memories of that and the fact that, you know, he lost a daughter doing all this. And then he sees May, who is adorable. And she's just so so nice and just is trying to get to know him and it's like oh okay well you know this and this and just telling him all kinds of stories and he, he's I think he's just taken back on how much it reminds him of his own his own daughter and then he's kind of faced with the reality of oh yeah I'm about to put her in harm's way just like I did with my own daughter and uh, testing this protomolecule on these poor kids we get from the doctor that he's only been testing one child at a time. So May hasn't been inoculated with this protomolecule just yet. And by all intents and purposes, it's probably not going to go down the way. But for all intents and purposes, Mao is ending it right now. He's like, we are terminating this experiment. We are not testing on these kids anymore. But it's pretty clear by the scientist and his whole speech about how great men have great responsibilities it's probably not going to go down that way. And we're probably going to have May put in a very precarious situation as either being the last kid tested or he's just going to group test everybody and just go go with it while he can, while he still got them. Ridiculousness and crazy and crazy. Also, uh, things that are happening on the Rasanate, Alex got a response to the letter he sent out not too long ago to his wife and child about you know how he was basically apologizing for being a sucky husband and a sucky dad. He basically abandoned them in order to chase this this dream of his to be a pilot. And uh, he hears back from them and they're like, yeah, you're gonna take that L, man. Because basically, <laughs> like it's, apparently it's been a long time, a long time since they've heard from him. So the fact that he's even answering right now, they're like, what the heck? I gotta give it up to the lady that is playing his wife. She gave the perfect amount of, I am done with your bullshit slash I'm relieved you're alive slash I never want to hear from you again face like that look said it all right there and she basically tells him we have gone along without having you in our lives as a husband and as a father we don't need you to come back fade out like that <laughs> it was it was a, it was a little rough but it was also kind of deserved and I think he also understood that it was basically deserved but also now we can close that chapter for the most part He's been all about the mission with, you know, everybody else on the Rasanate. And, you know, when they did hit port and like we're going crazy in town and Amos was like, let's get on this girl action. He was always like, nah, nah, I'm married. I'm married. And I think that was not necessarily a way for him to stay faithful to his wife, but to hold on to the shreds of the promise that he made her, knowing that he full well did not keep them at all. So I think that's all that was. So it'll be interesting to see what he's like now. Now that he's now he's got his 
I don't say he's got his freedom, but but now that he no longer has ties to that past life, he's fully now in this new Alex life, as glamorous as it is with everything in war. So there's that. Uh, what else is happening? Um, Naomi versus Avasarala. That is an interesting dynamic. I'm interested to see where it goes. Right now, Naomi is not in the best light. She made that decision by herself. It's in the protomolecule off. Off. I can talk that the belt can have it. Uh, she gave it to Johnson. And it hasn't been sitting well with everybody else on the Ross because everybody has seen what this thing is capable of. And she basically put it into the hands of somebody who's definitely not going to use it wisely. Like that, that's apparent. Not only that, but this is a guy who has no idea to what extent the damage this part of molecule can do. No one can control this thing. So they're just like, great, Naomi. Thanks. So, so, and she knows she fucked up, but on the other hand, she doesn't care because she's still a belter to her core and she wants to make sure that her people are protected. She's part of a group that has consistently been looked over and down upon and just used and tossed away. So she's kind of like, I mean, kind of stuck. She's stuck between a rock and a hard place. And she gets the chance to leave, to leave and jump out and head to Tycho like she wanted to to hit up Johnson and, and use that favor or whatever so she can stay clear of this war. But she doesn't because she knows, she knows better. Officer Raw's on board. It's a matter of time before something happens with her. And she basically puts it all out on the table for her towards the end of the episode. She basically tells Officer Rala, like, yeah, you know, I know what you really are after. You're not trying to help us. You're not trying to bide your time until you can give this information or whatever. Earth is the only only planet left that does not have the protomolecule. And since you are definitely a UN ambassador for Earth, you're going to try and make sure that happens. And Officerella doesn't say no, but she doesn't say yes either. She kind of leaves it in a gray area and they're kind of at a standstill for right now. So it'll be interesting to see where, where that heads off. I thought it was, I was having high hopes that Bobby and Alex were gonna like, not necessarily be best buddies, but at least be on like a civil term. And they are not immediately. She's like, who's defacing Martian property? And just like making a lot of demands and having a lot of questions. And they're like, we don't, we don't follow any of your rules. I don't, I don't care at anything about it. And then you got Alex trying to temper things down, but being very misogynistic about it, calling her darling. And she's just like, you got one more time to call me darling. Like that's, <laughs> before I end you. Thankfully, Holden to the rescue. He gets in there and he like, he calms everything down. He's like, it's none of our business, what they are about to do. We are going to drop them off as soon as possible so we can get back to our business. And that's when our Sorella finds out about Io. Everything's coming down to Io is what it looks like. So we have that going on. Uh, I'm interested to see what exactly is gonna happen once they all get to Io. For all intents and purposes, Holden is keeping true to this mission of we are getting Prax to Io and we are going to get May. And that's what he's going to focus on. Avasarela tries to bait him into like really seeing her side of things and he doesn't take it. Uh, she tries to make the rounds and is not really landing anywhere. And you know she, she thinks so many steps ahead of, of a lot of people. Naomi caught it, but... She sees, she sees the point, like after they explain things and they show her the videotape of what happens when one of those proto-molecule creatures comes after them, she realizes like the information she was trying to disseminate before everything went down, it's, it's not gonna be fruitful. It's too late. We're way past that point of explanation. Now we need to make sure Earth can come out of this is basically what she's kind of looking at. 
We'll see. We'll see how that goes. But right now, Holden's kind of kind of really holding it down. Like, we are going to Iowa. We're going to save May, just like we told Prax we would. I am really digging the Prax Amos team up right now. I like that he is has become, like, the, the voice of reason, almost like the Jiminy Cricket for, <laughs> for Amos's Pinocchio. That's really cute. You know, I mean, up until last season, it was Naomi. And as as forthright as she tries to be, she's still flawed. And I mean, Prax isn't perfect either, but I feel like he brings a genuine innocence to things that Amos wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So it's nice to see that pair up, see the two of them together, especially getting his backstory with Baltimore. Amos's um, small conversations with Avasarala, that whole bit with the heels, hilarious. I love that when he he's trying to show her how to work the gravity boots. He's like, yeah, you're just going to lean back on your heel. You're going to activate them. And then you're going to walk around like you walk on a pair of heels. And she tries to cut him and like, how do you know what it's like to walk on a pair of heels? And he's like, I didn't always work on the ship. Like, <laughs> I loved it. I thought that was great. Wonderful. And a nice little, a nice brief bit of humor in the rest of this episode because it gets dark, gets mad dark. Earnwright is doing a great job at being a smug asshole. He really is. He's doing a wonderful job of just being like this, I know how to play everyone in this game kind of guy. He doesn't. I mean, it's clear he doesn't. <laughs> He's messed up many times. He still hasn't gotten rid of Jules Pierre, who he's been trying to. That's his major tie into all of the madness. But, you know, he I think he feels he's got a lot of things in hand. Like it's a matter of time before everything kind of comes together for him. He's trying to run the secretary general into coming out on top on this war, acting hard, acting fast and just knocking Mars out of orbit, basically. Uh, but the secretary general has a lot of hesitation in a lot of these things. There's a lot of lives being lost. He doesn't want to be responsible for innocent lives being lost. Uh, any of the drastic actions that Earnwright's trying to push him to do, he feels it's too big of a risk. And then he has a conversation with Reverend Anna. That's what I'm going to call her because I cannot say her last name. Who kind of cements that hesitancy. She's like, listen, I know you're trying to keep things as copacetic as you can. But we're in war. So short of shutting this war down, you're going to have to make a decision that's going to cost the least amount of lives if you want to stay a good person in all of this. And so that's what he tries to do. Ernwick comes at him with some tactic they want to use that's got like an 82% success rate or whatever. And the secretary general is like, no, you come back, you come back to me when it's something much higher. It's like, oh, okay. So he does. Eventually he comes back again with a way for them to get rid of I guess these are like strategic weapon points for Mars. There's a way for them to, to basically shoot down Earth. Uh, so they have to get rid of them before anything else can happen. And I guess it's like a sneak attack so that Mars doesn't know what's going down. So they do. So it's all set up. Earnwright uh, basically gets the secretary to give them the go and they make their mark. There is a slight issue halfway through them shooting down these uh, potential I don't know, weapons, but, and one of the missiles they're trying to use kind of gets caught. So instead of it being one, two, three, four, five, it's one, two, three, four, five. And that, that space in between each shot gives the very last one that they are able to take out, but not in time before it shoots off one of its own missiles. They manage to shoot down a lot of the 
I guess the spray from this missile. So that doesn't affect as much of Earth as it was going to, but it still takes out 2 million lives in a particular region around the Amazonia area, Amazon area, which is, whoo, that's a lot of lives. That's a lot of lives. And you see Aaron Earnwright's face kind of like drop, like it, like he sees the after effects of like snap, shit, what did I just do? But it's Earnwright, he's not gonna stay down for long. So he uses this as an opportunity to kind of face off against Reverend Anna, who he knows is going to be his biggest obstacle in trying to control the Secretary General and kind of leaves it in her lap, like this subtle tea of, well, you know, this could have been avoided if only you hadn't talked to him and talked to him out of doing some other things that we had planned. And I guess this is a move for, this is a power move clearly for him to basically tell her to check herself. Like, I run this, you need to step down. You need to back off. Cause if you keep trying to interfere, stuff like this is gonna keep happening and it's gonna be on you. That's basically how he lays it out for her. Anna has, seems to be smart. Like we, I've only, we haven't gotten a lot of her just yet, but I'm hoping she can outthink her and right. Somebody's got to besides Avasarala. Someone has to, <laughs> for the love of everything. Ermite is doing a very good job of being a really evil person. And I mean, it's a amount of time before his comeuppance happens, but it needs to happen soon is all I'm saying. So that's going down uh, on the UN side of things. Also on the UN side of things, we get to see the uh, USS Agatha in the air. It is the, I wanna say ship? that picks up Qatar and Theo um, from when they disembarked from Mao's yacht. They're kind of running with no sight, basically. Uh, they get pinged by this ship. The ship comes to take them. Theo is immediately back to his crazy antics of like all these supposeds and what's happening and oh my gosh. And I feel like Kosyar realizes like in that moment, this dude's a loose end anything we're trying to get done, anything that I need to make sure doesn't get out before it needs to get out, he's not gonna be able to do it. So he kills him, he makes the decision to end him. You see the anguish in him, you see that he regrets having to make this decision, but he also needs to do something in order for Avasarala to be able to make the moves she needs to make. So he makes that choice and he gets picked up by, the, uh, by Agatha, by the USS Agatha. And immediately, this dude named Nguyen pops up and starts speaking with the Admiral, Admiral Suther. And it just is like, whoever you're getting on the ship, he's a criminal, immediately hold him in the brig. <laughs> like, don't do anything until I get there. And then pieces out. And Admiral Suther's just like, what is happening right now? Like, wait a second. And then just the rest of it is pretty timeless. I like it. Nguyen is sketchy as heck. This dude's sketchy as fuck. And I Suther, Realize, recognizes this immediately. He's like, this is weird. Like you just popped out of nowhere. You're telling me to hold this dude in the brig. And then as soon as they go down to talk with him, because Suther invites himself and Nguyen doesn't do anything to dissuade it or knows he can't do anything to dissuade it because otherwise it's, it's even sketchier. He starts asking him really weird questions and Suther's just kind of looking back and forth between them. Like what is really going on here right now? What is happening? So, uh, they leave it with Duen basically threatening Qatar, being like, you're gonna talk eventually, yada, yada, yada. Leaves. And meanwhile, they use the power outages that are happening on the Saint, or I keep calling it Saint Agatha. That's not what it is, the USS Agatha. 
to kind of conceal sooth they're going to talk to Qatar face to face and get like an actual story. He knows something's going on, but he's not exactly sure what it is. So he manages to use the, the blackouts to talk to Qatar. He gets that Avasarala has some kind of information uh, against Earn Wright and that Nguyen is probably teamed up with Earn Wright. He gets that Avasarala is actually alive, even though Qatar just announced that she had died. And he gets that there's something bigger happening around them. Qatar basically tells him the war that everybody's fighting is built on a lie. And I feel like Suther realizes something's weird, realizes something weird is going on. I don't know that he 100% believes Qatar just yet, but he knows he can't trust Nguyen. So he's just like, okay, all right. I completely thought he was gonna get caught. I'm glad that he didn't because Nguyen makes his way down to the med bay where Qatar is in a quick hurry. But uh, thankfully, Suther's not there. But Nguyen knows something's up. So as soon as he comes across Suther again, he's like, I'm going to take control of your ship. And we're making sure this ship goes to Io. Everything's in Io. So I'm just like, OK. So, <laughs> so he's just like, all right, yes, sir. And that's where they kind of leave it. So it seems like Suther is a guy who's got a good head on his shoulder. This show, unfortunately, shows that people that have good heads on their shoulders usually lose those heads. So. It'll be interesting to see. Interesting to see where that goes, and and yeah, that's that's really it. That's all. That's the biggest things that happened in there. I was really hoping to have more Bobby Alex, but all in good time. I'm assuming all in good time. That's eventually going to happen. I'm interested to see if Officerella really is after the proto molecule, just so that Earth also has a copy, or if she legitimately is trying to work a plan together to stop the war. It would benefit her for her to get the molecule to Earth. It would, it would benefit her. She, in order for her to maintain the lifestyle that she's had, Belters have to be at the bottom with Mars second to that and Earth at the top. Like that's gotta remain the same. If if she's trying to keep that the same, who knows with Alva Sarala? She, she, she could be thinking up something totally different, but who knows? I'm interested to see what happens when all this converges to Io. Everybody's going to Io. We got the Ross, oh, I should say former Rossinati crew going to Io. We've got the USS Agatha with Qatar, Nguyen, and Suther also going to Io. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point Erin, or I'm sorry, Erin, Erin Wright is going to Io as well. We saw what happened on Io. So, like the like I said, the protomolecule samples. Katoa is the kid that currently has a protomolecule sample in him. Uh, he went from showing off like cool, glowy arms to he did a, he does a whole trick where he like walks up the wall and does a backflip onto like one of the railings on the ceiling. And then uh, he's like walking on his hands for the kids and he collapses. He collapses into a bunch of fits, shaking fits, and they have to take him out of there. So it'll be interesting to see where that's gonna go to. Everybody's on a crunch time. They're in the middle of a war. Everybody's got their own agenda with what's going on. This show's great. This show's amazing. And I, I've, every time I watch an episode, it feels like I am not getting enough episodes so I can keep continuing with this story. I know there's the books. The books are huge, but we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But that's it for The Expanse. I, I can't wait for next week's episode. It's gonna be great. All right, so next up is Agresuko, and which was a series that dropped on Netflix over the weekend. Not thinking anything I was expecting at all, <laughs> like whatsoever. 
Sure, it's a collaboration between Sanrio, the people who gave us Hello Kitty and Peckle and all, all the cutie animals, all of them. And and Netflix, and it's it's the most randomest thing. So it it's centered around R- Retsuku, who is a red panda, it's the cutest red panda ever. And it's her. It's about her daily life, working at a job that she hates. That she uh, all same sis, same. She's working at this this job where like her boss is belittling her and is crazy misogynistic, and you know she's got a coworker who just like doesn't do her share of the work at all whatsoever and seems like a huge brown noser. And she's, she's just like at her wit's end about a lot of things. And her escape from all of that is karaokeing to death metal, full screams and everything. And it's the, it's the greatest contrast of like this cutesy Sanrio character going full death metal and just screaming her feelings for the world to know. She packs a microphone because she goes to karaoke that much the greatest this series is mad short it's not super long episodes they're super entertaining and they touch on like real life things it's amazing all compact into this little series it's the cutest stuff i also love um the she so she makes two these two friends in the show that are supposed to be the the characters that have it together she's like ooh, these women have it all together and it's a gorilla and an eagle it's so cute and she ends up making friends with them and they end up karaokeing together. And she ends up like really able to express herself around these two women. They go to yoga, <laughs> they talk about their love lives. It's the cutest stuff. It's so cute. That eagle though, she's got a good head on her shoulder. She's amazing. And I just, I just liked it. I liked how they showed this juggling of working at this job that you can't stand but at the same time, you're thankful for because you have bills. That is adulting to its extreme. <laughs> like, that's, like that's it, doing what you gotta do to make sure all these ends meet, that you're covered for all this other stuff by whatever means possible. Even though it may not be the thing you want, you love doing, it's the thing that's gonna get you by and just like, whew, bearing with it. So I thought that was brilliant. That was really cute. If you get the chance, check it out. It's called Agret's. Agre, yeah, Agoretsu. I can't talk. Blah, blah, blah. It's supposed to be like aggressive Retsuku. So, Agretsuku? I'm going to say that. Agretsuku? Yep, that's going to be it. And Sanrio's already selling the stuff. So, if you go to Sanrio.com and check out uh, Agretsuku, she's all over everything. Per Sanrio typicalness bags, pen holders, cell phone covers, you name it. I'm going to get me a bag and probably a blanket. I'm not going to lie. It's gonna, it's gonna go down. It's gonna happen. So that's definitely something to check out. And I'm going to be diving into another series release on Netflix. Actually, I'm just gonna do it right here. Here, I'm gonna talk about the three percent. Listen, the three percent is my show. The first season of the three percent came out on Netflix back in like November of 2016. So it's been a year and a half. I didn't think they were gonna get a second season. I hadn't been keeping up with the news of it because I very much thought it was a one-off type show. It's a foreign show. They speak Portuguese the whole time. It's from Brazil. And I was like, mm, okay, like it's it's great. It's very, it's, we're dealing with a post-apocalyptic teens per usual, um, but it's with a nice little twist to it. So it's got semblance of a Hunger Game where you're dealing with a huge amount of people, a huge population of people who are the have-nots and this 
uh, smaller group that it are the haves that make the have-nots basically fight to the death amongst themselves to become one of them. Like that's the setup for this, for the 3%. You have people on the inland when the inland is a slums. It's just a terrible place where people are barely scraping by. Nobody has anything that's super functional. Their, their clothes are literally falling off of them. They have to scavenge for food. They're literally like chasing after rats and whatnot. Finding clean water and everything is a constant struggle. And they make up 97% of the population. But their goal, their ultimate goal is to get through something called the process, which is basically like a testing that's done by the people on the offshore. And that's where riches are. That's where people are living their best lives. They have easy access to medical and health care. No worries in the world. But only 3% of the inland population make it to the offshore. And that's where we get the title of the show, the 3%. So the reason I love the show when it first came out in the first season was A, that diversity in the casting for this show is off the charts amazing. Usually when I'm watching an overseas show or a show from a different country, it's pretty, I don't want to say homogeneous, but that's kind of how it feels. Like unless it's like a British show where there were sometimes you get a lot of diversity, uh, for the most part, you're looking at it through the eyes of whatever that country is that you're watching it. Like I watch shows from Germany and Sweden, you know, so you're gonna get a lot of white people. That's that's what's making up those countries. Uh, but with Brazil, Brazil is amazingly diverse, but doesn't always have. It's got its own own things, own own issues with its history as to how it became such a diverse country. And so I was really really surprised to see the casting they put on that. You could put the argument out there, like a lot of the people they show that are part of the inland, part of the slums, they're all people of color. Like they're all they're black people, they're brown people, they're Asian people, like you see that. And then when you see people that are supposed to be simulating the wealthy, rich offshore people, I mean, you still you still get a nice diversity, but it's it's not as, apparent as it is when you're looking at the kids coming from the inland, the slums. So I, it's the, there's definitely a political landscape to the show, which is what draws you in. But it's these kids. The kids do an amazing job with their characters that make you pull for them. I highly recommend you catch the first season before you jump into the second one because it's probably not going to make a whole lot of sense. So <laughs> that being said, I'm going to be jumping into spoilers for the second season. I watched, I binged this all last night just because it was, so, uh, because it's a great, because it's a great show. And they got two more episodes this season. So the first season's only eight episodes. This last season is 10 episodes. So uh, a bunch of things with this. First of all, my favorite characters are all back. They're the characters that survived the first round of the first season. So we get Joanna. Joanna is a kick-ass female character. She's a lead female character. Uh, she's got this beautiful afro that she rocks, and she's she's hardcore independent. She doesn't need nobody, and she makes it clearly known that she doesn't need anybody. You know, her backstory is like one of the most tragic. She had nobody to to take care of her growing up in the in the inland, which is mad dangerous. So she's literally had to scrape to survive. She's also crazy intelligent. She's had to adapt and think on her feet. And it's apparent when she goes through the process in the first season, it's even apparent through the second season that she's trying to figure out a way to help stop the, 
they're not called the three percent, but basically, yeah, no, no, they're at the three percent. It's a way to stop the three percent from continuing this process, which is just splitting everybody apart and causing a lot of ha- havoc and madness on the inland because people they feel like failures when they don't make it through, even though a ridiculous tiny amount of people actually make it through. And it's a system we find out that's intent to make sure that a gazillion people do not make it. It's crazy. So we have Joanne, jo- I'm sorry, Joanna, who uh, is trying to join the cause. The cause is the rebellion group, like a guerrilla rebellion group that's against uh, the the process and the people that they represent. So she, they're just trying to join them to stop it because during her time in the process, it became very clear to her what exactly the process was about. She's one of the very few characters that doesn't need that spill, spelled out for her. She gets it right away, which is awesome. Uh, my favorite twist, and it ha- deals with her character's story arc. There's a part in it where she gets captured by this militant group that's working on the ground for the for the three percent, and we see a face that we didn't think we we're gonna see ever again. There's a character called Marco in the show. The first season, he's set up as like this well-to-do, like hood rich type character that's on the inland. So like, even though he's living on the inland and he's everybody's screaming by just like him, he's living in a nice house. They have a, uh, there's somebody on staff. They have like a, I guess like a caretaker type person who's, who makes his food and cleans up the house and like takes care of it in the middle of these slums, right? And he, his whole setup is like, he comes from a line of people who've all gone through the process and all passed. So he's just got in his head that like, not only am I making it through this process, it's gonna be a slam dunk for me and I'm gonna become a leader when I go to the offshore. Like that's supposed to be his setup. Of course, none of that comes to fruition. These tests in the process are insane. They are made to push these kids to their limit because they're they're testing for strength and intelligence and like they only want the best of the best to go to the offshore. A lot of crazy things. So there's a portion specifically there's like an episode that really singles him out and we see him at his absolute worst he is struggling to maintain whatever little bit of power he's got this power that he feels he's entitled to that just completely slips from his grasp and it results in him what what we all thought was him dying so there's a whole part where like he gets beat to a bloody pulp and the goal at the time was to make it through this like this automatic seal door, it's closing slowly. He barely has the use of his legs to get it going because he gets beat to a pulp in the midst of all his machinations to be a leader. And he's screaming in anger and frustration and anguish as he's watching these other kids escape through this door. And it, he, instead of moving out of the way of the door because he's, he's just lost it by this point, he stays right there and it closes on him. And it's a, it's a hard steel Door. So everybody just thinks he's got like cut into, just snapped in a brilliant twist. That's why if you haven't seen it, don't listen to the spoilers. But so, <laughs> so in a brilliant twist, he's alive. So there's a whole notion that the 3% have ridiculous access to medical facilities. Like these medical facilities can damn near cure almost anything. And they are able to patch him up. So after everything that goes down, uh, and they're talking about everything that happened to him. Like he's he's got damage to a kidney and to his liver and to his whole stomach. And he his hips are fractured and 
just just a lot of things that's going on with him. He basically ends up losing both of his legs. So they fix him up. They give him fake legs to go with probably on a fake pelvis and and hip socket and just send him back out to the inland. And he's got now he's got to try and make it in the inland having failed his family lineage and without the use of his legs. Like it's it's crazy, but he's Marco. As crazy as he is and as villainous as this dude is, he's still a survivalist and he figures out how to make it work for him and he ends up gaining power again. And and that's how he, we meet him again with Joanna. He's he's part of the militia that's trying to take her in because she's running for the cause and he ends up running that militia. It's crazy. It's crazy. The story is insane. We also get... Um, Fernando, Fernando's like the heart of this show. So Fernando is a kid that when we meet in the first season, you're like, ooh, you're gonna die immediately. So he's, when you see him, he's real naive. He's real quick to trust people. He's also in a wheelchair. So something, some crazy accident happened when he was like a little kid and that's left him wheelchair bound. So everybody's thinking immediately he's, he's got a disadvantage to being a part of the process. Anything physical, anything that's gonna require him to basically needs to do anything out of, of a physical advantage, he's going to be at a loss. Not only that, if he's teamed up with anybody and they've got to do something physical, he's dead weight. So a lot of people just immediately dismiss him, but he's so smart. He's very smart. He learns how to play the game very fast and he learns how to make it work for him to the point where like he nearly makes it, he nearly wins. But something happens at the end where he gets completely disenfranchised with the whole notion of the process and he quits and he leaves him and him and Joanna leave in that first season. So the second season picks up the pieces where he's a disappointment to his father. His father has been the strongest proponent for the process. His father is a, a priest for the church that they've got down there in the inland. And this church is based around the process. It's based around the 3% and the founders, which is this couple, this couple that, supposedly pulled people out of the darkness that happened before this post-apocalyptic era. And uh, Fernando just can't help but just feel some type of way. He knows it's all bullshit. He knows it's all lies. He's trying to explain this to his father. His father wants to hear none of it. And I thought they did a brilliant job of showing how like, his dad's not just this crazy convert. His dad needs this to survive. He needs this belief of like this better place and this better plane in order for him to make it through the day. Because if that's all a lie, everything's a lie. And that and nothing it doesn't mean anything. Nothing means anything if that's the case. So I thought they did a really good job of setting that up with the father and Fernando. He also comes into play with Michelle. So Michelle's another character who I thought was going to be the lead character when we met her in the first season, but she was just one of the main characters. Michelle is like this, again, more smart kids, a crazy intelligent girl who's really good at adapting to her surroundings. So much so that she gets picked up by the cause to be an infiltrator for the first season round of the process when it's her time to go. Um, she does it because she's told by the cause that uh, her brother is dead because of this process. So for her to get revenge on this brother that she had, because she didn't have parents, their parents passed or left, something happened terrible. It was her and her brother for the longest and then her brother went for the process and she never heard from him again. She thought it meant that he passed the process and that's why the cause tells her, no, it's because he died. So you've got to go and, and you know, so we need you to help, help infiltrate this so we can put an end to the madness. 
she goes to do this. She she does a lot of things that she never otherwise would have to, would have thought she could do. She has a lot of regrets going into everything. And uh, we find out at the very end of the season that uh, she did all of that basically for not. Her brother's alive and well on the offshore. So we pick up with Michelle. And even though her brother is alive and well on the offshore, he's also in prison for murder, which is something that's never happened on the offshore. So there's a whole mystery around that. And we've also got her not really fitting in with the offshore. So even though she's there now, she's not there of her own will. So there's a guy named Ezekiel, who's another main character. He's like a mad scientist type. He figures out that she was supposed to be the spy. And he figures this out because he also was working for the cause as a spy. And they get into this weird relationship where he's like trying to control her and make her him in some way. It just comes off really creepy and it gets really strange. And I'm kind of glad it ends as abruptly as it does because he was mad distracting. And I didn't understand why we spent so much time on Ezekiel when we could be spending so much time on these kids. Uh, but, but with all of that story, we get to see Michelle as a character post the process. And she's a character that is completely unreliable. She's an unreliable character. You can't trust her with anything 100%. She always has something else going on that is very self-purposeful that she's doing for her own. She constantly betrays these kids like every chance she gets. And we end it with her and Fernando and their scene, which is really strange. She she comes up with this new plan to like, they, they had a whole scheme to finally get rid of the process and they think it's done, but of course not. Michelle thwarted it and managed to manipulate it for her own devices. So not only is the process still going on, but now she wants to create like a third option for people for some reason. And she tries to get Fernando to help her. And that's how they end the series with her being like, all right, Fernando, let's be co-founders for a whole new place. And Fernando's just looking at her like she crazy. He's like, what? Why did we do all of this? So there's that. We also get a character called Raphael. Raphael is a ridiculously attractive person, but he's also dumb as a box of flakes. So like this kid, he is also an infiltrator for the cause. And in the first season, he's just a screw up. He does a lot of things that just doesn't help him in any way. He sets up a lot of things that just ruin it for a lot of other people. And he's just so messy about being a cause agent. Like it's a wonder he never got found out in the first place. He's just very haphazard and, and just messy, just messy. And this trails into the next season. He's still messy, even though he managed to somehow make it to the offshore. But he's still like flubbing things here and there. The cutest things about his story was that, A, he found love. So we get to see uh, him fall in love with somebody he's not supposed to because he's in the middle of this mission. But we also see him kind of step up. He, Even though he's still messy and still like barely getting things together, there's moments of like, clarity for him where he knows this is exactly what I have to do and this is exactly how I need to do this and he gets stuff done to his character's credit as much as he messes up he keeps going he keeps trying until it gets done and that that's how they kind of leave him too with the story like after everything goes down and after he tries to get this mission done and fails this mission again we see him trying to basically pick up the pieces of his life that he's got left over because he knows the mission that he was on, there's nothing left for him to do there. And he's trying again with, with the woman that he loves and seeing if that's got something that'll go through. 
it's it's crazy it's crazy and yeah so oh we also got uh dirt on the founding couple founding couple i okay i liked the twist i like the twist i did with the founding couple because this whole time they've been building up the founding couple as like these two purest people who saw the world in turmoil and was like okay what we can do is we've got this island that's got everything anybody could ever want but we need to make sure that we're putting the best people on this island at all times and everybody was just like that's great like nobody was like that sounds mean and selfish everybody was just like no you're right that's absolutely what we need to do so they're part of who created the process they're the reason the officer even exists and we get their backstory we find out how this even happened it turns out the couple was not a couple they were actually a trio they were a polyamorous group who helped to find this island um apparently they were setting up this island because of the fact that the the mainland the world everybody else was living in was running out of resources at an alarming rate at a ridiculously alarming rate the sponsorship that they had with these businesses to get this done uh these businesses get back in touch with them and they're like look things are happening at a much faster pace than we thought we are going to claim this island for ourselves basically like save ourselves uh and and try to move on from there we'll see what we'll have to do next and two of the trio are like nah like that's no that is not cool so apparently two of the trio uh came out of the slums and kind of worked their way up to being where they were now and they were like no we need to start this over we're not going to have this run into the ground by rich people and their idealism that's no that's not going to happen we needed to stop that from happening and the one person who was kind of like a sane voice of reason was like uh we we have to do something we can't just let everybody suffer we, the reason we did this was to help find a salvation for everyone not just for us and they're like screw you so they go into this plan of of basically plunging the world into chaos to just start turning off power and and sinking everybody into almost a dark age to save themselves and she's like, no, you can't do that. And it, it escalates very quickly. She gets a gun and she's trying She's trying to talk them out of doing this. There's a struggle, the gun goes off and she dies. And and this founding couple now, now that it's the two survivors, they're sad for a minute. They get right back into the action of plunging the world into utter chaos. And that's how we get this island. So we find out there's video proof of this going down, right? There's literal proof this is how everything started and of course it's michelle that finds this stupid story so she gets the story she sees what's happening and the lesson she takes out of that is uh oh well you know what i should create a third version of this like that what and that's how they end the series so second season overall it was still very intriguing it still sucked me in i still had to watch every single episode i did not like the way it ended and it, does, it doesn't leave you feeling like there's gonna be another season. I feel like this was how they wanted it finished with just like, that's life. Kind of like this realistic ending of like, you try your hardest, it doesn't always happen the way you want it to, and you make do with the best you can. That's kind of how it ends. And you're just like, oh, okay, all right. So it'll be interesting to see if they get a season three. I'm, I'd be interested to see if Fernando is really gonna go on Michelle's proposal, what's gonna happen with Raphael and his girlfriend, what's gonna happen to Joanna now with everything else that went down. 
even Marco, even Marco's up in the ring. So it'll it, it'd be interesting to see what happens with all of that. And uh, and yeah, so that that's it for the random Netflix series that I caught. And I will be jumping into My Hero Academia right after this. All right, My Hero Academia also had a new episode this past Saturday. Saturday, yep, Saturday. And uh, it's starting to kick off even more. So it's been... It's, it's been interesting with My Hero Academia. So we only get like a 30-minute episode each week. It started off slow, and it is picking up the pace on a consistent basis right now. So the latest episode has us dealing with the immediate threats that these kids are facing. There's still smoke everywhere. It's still knocking people out. But we're also seeing the kids kind of come together. So we've, we've got them making masks uh, to help protect other kids. We've got a whole speech from some of the kids in class 1B who, you know, given the option to like, you know, leave and like go find a teacher and get to safety or making the choice to take their stand as heroes and like try to solve what's going on, add their help to everything. I don't know if that's the greatest plan or if that is, or if it's ridiculous, but uh, the character, I, I can't remember his name right now, but he's also a character who can change the physiology of his body. He can make himself really hard like steel. He basically says like, you know, even though, you know, we all basically shun that one kid who's constantly going after class 1A, he also understands where it's coming from. And that's what he talks about with his fellow classmates. Just like, you know, we do notice that they're different from us. And that's because they they take their stands when these opportunities to come come and arise, they take their stands as heroes and try to try to really sort things out and try to help. So he's like, I'm sticking around. I'm gonna see what I can do to help. Great speech. It was a great speech. I don't know how fruitful this speech is going to be. We will see. And then we get into uh, some of the other things that are happening. We definitely know that the, the remedial kids, the kids that have to take the extra lessons, are safe. They're with a eraser, eraser head. They didn't even get the chance to go and try to do this challenge in the dark at all because they have to they have to catch up. And eraser head gives them a good speech about how you know this is their gift. This is him looking out for them because they are falling woefully behind the rest of their rest of their classmates. And the sooner they realize that the sooner they can really start working towards being their own professional heroes. We also got Deku facing off against a villain with a similar ability to him. So it's another power-up villain, uh, except his is mad gross. He gets all this extra muscle that kind of springs out of his body and adds to the powers of his punches and everything. He's also mad crazy. And in a nice drama twist, he's also the reason for the death behind Koda's parents. So Dakota being the kid who doesn't like people with quirks in general, period. He doesn't see the point to the superhero or villain thing at all. Lost his parents at a very young age. Hasn't been able to really work through that this whole time. He faces off against a guy and he recognizes this guy because this guy was all over the news when everything went down. And Deku comes out in his normal Deku manner and tries to save the day. We also got to see Deku really push past his boundaries, which has been like the buildup this whole time. Is, are these kids that don't get comfortable and like the latest place that you've gotten as a superhero, you can always push harder. You can always try to be a little bit stronger. So we see that culminate with Deku. He's, he's trying to protect Koda and it's Deku. So he's gonna do whatever he can to protect Koda. He, you know, he goes out with his like 100% punch. It doesn't do much, unfortunately. 
and and it's Deku. So we know he is wrecking his body trying to get this done. And it shakes Coda too. Coda sees what Deku is finally talking about when it comes to being a, a hero. And it kind of finally weighs in on him. And I loved the culmination of that. You get this little part where, uh, per usual, Deku gets pinned in like what looks like an unbeatable battle. And he's about to give in. He's already saying his goodbyes to his mom. And out of nowhere, Koda uses his ability. It's also a water-based ability to try try and help him. And he, and he does something. And it shakes Deku out of his sadness stupor. And he gets back into action and comes up with a whole new punch. I want to say he said to, it was either 200% or 1,000%, something of that, something huge of that nature. And it finally does the, does the job. It finally takes down this villain. And it was cute. It was cute to see this culmination, to see Koda kind of see another perspective finally, and that maybe he, he wasn't thinking quite clearly in regards to his whole attitude about quirks in general. We also got to see uh, the cats in action. The I forget what they call themselves kind of in action. Tiger is doing his thing. He's trying to like get everything together. Ragdoll is missing. We keep seeing lots of blood trails. I hope Ragdoll's fine. Uh, the kids are still trying to make their way back, either back to camp or going after these villains. We kind of end it with Bakugo and Todoroki making their way downtown, down through the forest, trying to ward off the, the fumes that is everywhere, trying to knock them out. And they face up against this villain. This, there's a guy in like a straight jacket with his mouth like pried open. It's real creepy. And he's just talking to himself. He's staring at a dismembered hand. And he's like, pretty, so pretty. Can't get distracted. Have to stay focused, but so pretty. And you're just like, oh my gosh. And they're like, no, this is going to be terrible. So we kind of leave it at that. So we know that they're those two at least are teamed together. And they're definitely going to be facing off with that guy. And I'm interested to see the rest, where the rest of the kids from Class 1A are going. Like I said, I've read the manga, so I know I know where this may be headed, but this is still the anime. They like to change things up just a little bit, give you a little extra story here and there. Not not too crazy, but it'll be interesting, interesting to see how some of these storylines are going to look when they're in full action with this show. So good episode, good episode, lots of action, like I like it. And I'm excited to see next week. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, I also caught... Oh, like I said, I got into Dear Fair Lady Kong Shim, which is a Korean drama. It's been a while since I've seen a Korean drama. I've been watching a lot of Taiwanese dramas lately. Uh, Korean dramas is how I got my start into Asian dramas. Um, the thing with Korean dramas, and this is probably just a me thing, uh, I feel like, not that they tiptoe over the reality of, of romances between two people, but they they're conservative with it. They don't They don't want to show too much too soon, too fast, especially depending on the network that's releasing it. Not all of them are cable networks, so they're not going to show everything. But um, this, this definitely felt like I was watching an old school Korean drama. The story was cute. The setup was cute for, for Dear Fair Lady Kong Shin. Basically, it's around this girl who is kind of a Cinderella. She's kind of taken for granted by her family. She does a lot of menial tasks for them. And she's looked out upon because A, she didn't get into college. B, she doesn't have a job. <laughs> you know, it's like C, uh, she's seen as like the uglier of the two of the two girls in this family. She's got an older sister that's, you know, she's kind of heralded for her beauty. And the fact that she got a good job. She's a lawyer. She went to college. Uh, this girl doesn't even have her own room. Her sister took over that room and made it a closet. So she ended up renting an apartment. 
um, at the top of the building where they live. And now that it's become far too expensive for her because she, she can't hold a job. She gets a job and she loses it. Uh, she decides to sublet it. And in the process of doing that, she's taking all kinds of selfies on her roof. She ends up knocking over a flower pot on the roof and it nearly careens into the guy that's on the ground floor who happens to be feeding this puppy, which is a really cute scene. But also sets up like this guy's got super awareness ability, almost like a Spider-Man sense. He senses this flower pot's coming at him and he manages to kick it away in just in time. And that's the catalyst for these two. They're me cute is that, you know, she nearly tried to kill him with a flower pot and he gets up there and he gives her like a whole little scolding. They have a whole conversation back and forth where, you know, there's cuteness there, but also like she doesn't like him. And then by, you know, happenstance, she happens to rent this room that she's been trying to sublease to him. And then now he's in close proximity and we get these two lovebird connection. It would be really cute if that was like the whole story. It was just about Kong Shim and how, like her her rise and her growth becoming, you know, an independent adult. But that's not what we get. So this starts out being about Kong Shim and quickly becomes all about that male lead. And now I can't even remember his name. That's terrible. I'm terrible with names. Obviously, on, no, on Dante. There we go, Dante. He, it quickly becomes a show about him. So in, in traditional drama sense, they get add some twists and turns. So we get a whole storyline about uh, a, a child kidnapping and how they've been trying to find this kid for like the last 25 years. Uh, he's an heir to a business throne. He's about to be a chable. And you know, we find out that it, it's, it's, it's the male lead. He, he becomes that missing guy, or missing kid. He's the missing kid grown. He ends up getting into his birthright. There's a cousin that's involved in this too, who's not malicious. He's actually a nice guy, uh, but whose family is malicious. He's got an uncle who kidnapped his cousin in the first place, Dante, uh, yeah, Don, Dante, who kidnapped Dante uh, for gambling debts or something crazy. And then uh, they decided to stay, stick with it because him and uh, the mother decided that it would be a better deal to get rid of Dante so that their uh, next heir would be the one to get the fortune because why not? So that's what's happened. And it, like about midway through the, sh the series, it all becomes about this plot. Like that's the main focus. We don't get a whole lot of Kong Shim after that, unless it's talking about her being in love with Dante. That's pretty much it. So yeah, that we get a, a little bit of a love triangle between Dante, his cousin and Kong Shim. But, but to me, that kind of felt flat. It was very apparent who she was gonna choose. I never felt like she was gonna go one way or the other ever. So there's that. It did end cute. It gave us our little happy ending, which I'm always a fan of. We got the happy ending. We get them together. It was cute how they got them together. It was an okay series. It wasn't the greatest series. Uh, eh, it was okay. It was, it was okay. It was cute. It, it did its job of being cute and it told its story, but I was like, nah, okay. Back to time when these dramas it is. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna be doing that. I did watch another, I think it was a web series that I'm now going to look up the name for. I caught a web series Korean drama that was about kids with supernatural abilities. So these kids are all transplant patients. One got eyes transplanted, another one got a heart, another one got some kind of leg ligaments, like a knee something and something in his shin. Uh, it's called Unexpected Heroes. And like I said, it's a web series. So 
I don't know if it's still going on or what. It might not be going on anymore. But it was really cute. Oh, yeah, it only ran until December of, of this year. So, oh, so we get left on a cliffhanger. But it was real quick. It's a web series, which means each episode is like eight whole minutes. And there's 10 episodes to this thing. And it was really, it was just really, really cute. It was a nice twist on kids getting supernatural abilities. They gave these kids a purpose with these abilities. Each of, each of these kids gained these abilities to help solve a mystery that was going on around the person who donated these abilities. We also got a little love, because it's Curry Jump. We got a little love triangle happening between the three leads. So uh, the two guys end up becoming roommates with the girl. They all live in the same uh, like dorm type of place. And it was really cute. The setup they had was like one of the guys who got the heart transplant, his power was that he was cool under any kind of pressure. Like nothing raised his heartbeat, running, being super scared in a situation. Nothing made his heart like go at a rapid pace at all, except for beat around this girl, the girl, another transplant patient. She made his heart like really race and he, he couldn't figure out what was going on. And sometimes being around this librarian, when we find out the librarian actually has like a malicious side to him that actually deals with the person who gave them their abilities. Uh, but that, 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 that was cute. It was a nice little twist on, on like that take and like how to introduce this little love story. It was real cute. And then they started talking about it maybe being a triangle by having the other guy with abilities. So there's another guy who, like I said, got the knee and shin tissues transplanted he gets super strength and he's just he's just a gentleman across the board he's always just like kind of looking out for her like big brother little sister they get into a situation where uh she kind of gets in a in like a huge amount of trouble and he's there to save her and he like takes a lot of the attack that's coming and it's real it's real cute a little misogynistic but very cute <laughs> type of storyline it was real and it was real quick it was, but it was only 10 episodes, like I said, and it leaves you on a crazy cliffhanger. So we're like, okay, is that is that it? That's all we're getting? Is that, the, is that we're done? We're done? Okay. All right. But yeah, so that was a Korean drama that I really, really enjoyed. But probably because A, it was mad short, so they had to rush the story. And B, it was about superpowers. So that probably definitely bias in that regard. But yeah, so that's it. So that's all I caught, at least for the the Asian series that I catch on this side. And that, that's going to wrap up Curvy Geeky Fangirl. That's pretty much it for the week. Non-spoilers. I, I tried to give about Avengers. And then just a lot of Netflix drop that we got. Uh, some Expanse, a lot of DC TV. And, of course, my dramas, my Asian dramas with My Hero Academia and the two Korean dramas I just talked about. All of that is going on. So I will be continuing this next week as per usual for Curvy Geeky Fangirl. Uh, you can hit me up in Twitter under the hashtag CGF Recaps. You can find me as Curvy Geeky Fangirl everywhere. Uh, Twitter is the only exception. It's like Curvy Geeky Fangirl because I have to get rid of some characters, the A and the I in Fangirl because of character limits. But otherwise, you'll find me. You'll see me right there. You can find me on CurvyGeekyFangirl.com. As well, I'm figuring out how ways to put out these fandom fashion sets, so that's happening. And I'm also on Fan Bros. I get, I get. To, sometimes I put out articles with Fan Bros. around fandom fashions for the for everyday geeks, like you know. So check those out when you get the chance. And I will catch you guys next week. Bye. <laughs>
Ciao, Marco.